Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and I'm most excited to have on the show today, Renee Starr. She is a multi-award winning author, wild witch, nine moons, lunar priestess, and artist, a seeker of ancient wisdom for the modern woman. She offers her book, which I have a copy and I love, You Are Woman, You Are Divine, as a guide for the modern woman's journey back to the goddess. And I've known Renee for many years, and she is just an exceptional human being, one of the kindest and most supportive women that I know. She's always been super supportive of me. So we're really excited to interview her today. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our episode. We're really looking forward to this one. Um, We have all kinds of great stuff coming up still, and one of the most important things is that next week, Chris and I will be doing our own show, and we're going to talk about a little bit of our journey with psychics and how we got to where we are and all that good stuff. Um, So it's a chance to get to know us a little bit better. Um, And then find all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, and you can get everything there. Leave us a coffee on Ko-Fi, sign up for our newsletter, all that great stuff. Um, and then in September, we're starting a series of tarot classes. So if you guys are interested in learning the tarot from us, again, you can find information on the website or just email us and get a hold of us, and we'll be happy to, to include you guys. It'll be on Zoom, and it'll be 6.30 in the evening Pacific, probably middle of the week. I, I think we booked it for a Wednesday or something. Um, so anyway, a lot of fun. So I don't want to take up too much time because we've been looking forward to Renee for so long. So I'm going to kick it back to you. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome, Renee. Thank you. So nice to be here. So good to see you. It's wonderful to see you. I was trying to think of how long we've known each other. It's been oh. like about 15 years, I think. It's been at a while. Least, at least 15 years, <laughs> if not 18. Yes. So it's, it's really great to have you on the show. I've been really looking Thank forward you. to it. Um, so I thought it might be interesting for folks to hear a little bit about how you began your journey to, you know, embrace the goddess and sort of your own origin story, so to speak. Thank you. Um, it's an interesting story, and it, it begins with being a motherless daughter while my mother was still alive. She was she had um, suffered from extreme mental illness, and so I disassociated from her emotionally very, very young, and then physically when I became an adult. So I orphaned myself and felt very lost and felt very untethered in the world and had no direction and really missed having an elder woman be a mother to me. And I began to study magic, study metaphysics, study ancient wisdoms. And when I happened upon the goddess, I realized this is my spiritual mother. 
And so embracing her and devote and being in devotion to her and working with her, it really filled a place in my heart that was, you know, deeply, deeply wounded and also open and waiting for something to be there. And I still feel that way today. Goddess is my spiritual mother. Well, it's, that's fascinating for a couple reasons. I know in psychology, they recommend that you rebuild that archetype if it's wounded, and you did that organically. Yes. Uh, now, was there any particular goddess that you initially were drawn to, or was it a lot of different goddesses? No, it was the Shekhinah. It was the goddess of goddesses. It was the all-encompassing divine sacred feminine that I went to to first. And I was always interested in mythology Mm -hmm. and had read many, 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 many myths over the years. And so I loved them, but I never quite felt the connection that I did to the Shekhinah and that magnificence and that, mm, the awesome, like being in awe of something, of a presence. And she came to me during a Kabbalistic meditation that I was involved in. I was in a course And he was, the rabbi was leading us in this beautiful meditative practice. And suddenly, and I described this in my book, but she came to me and filled my mouth with honey. Mm. And when the meditation had completed, I was in tears and moved like I was in uncontrollable emotion. And the rabbi said, you know, what's going on? And I shared, I said, my mouth is filled with honey. And he said, you have been visited by the Shekhinah. She fills our mouths with honey. Oh, wow. And so that just, I I devoted two years to my life with her on the Shabbat. Every Friday, I did a a very, very sacred practice with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually at this time feeling, and this happens, and I explain this to students too, I'm feeling a little disconnected from goddess a little disconnected from that practice. And that happens. We wax and we wane just like the moon does in our light and in our darkness and in our closeness and in our distance. So I'm in a waning period and I'm building myself back up into the waxing of that. Well, that's interesting because I would like you to also talk about this concept of the nine lunar um, goddess. I, I've never heard anybody kind of call themselves, it's usually just lunar or moon, and you mm-hmm. very specifically look at the different phases. Mm-hmm. And um, so talk about what that actually means to you and how you came to describe yourself that way. Well, as a nine moons lunar priestess, what happened was I have always been connected to the moon. I've always felt very, uh, I've always felt the presence of the moon very powerfully in my life, very um Uh, magically in my life. And so I started to study ancient texts. And what I found was that there was a practice of lunation, a full lunar cycle that witches had practiced in their magic. And it had been lost. Astrologers don't pay attention to it. And most magical folk do not pay attention to it. And it is a full nine moon instead of eight moon cycle. And what that means is that if you start your magical ritual on a dark moon, you complete it on the very next dark moon. Mm, Dark moon, dark moon. Wow. Or full moon to full moon Ah. or to new moon or half moon to half moon. Instead of going from just the cycle that the moon presents, 
you do a full lunation of those nine moons. So I began to study it and started to work with it and practice with it and everything amplified, everything, my connection to the moon deepened. And I realized I'm in devotion to La Luna, (laughs) you know, deeply in devotion and really in um, magical workings with her. And so I considered myself to be a priestess and began teaching that. And the nine moons, that cycle, that lunation has become one of my signature core teachings. Wow. So you could technically just start on any particular phase. And I guess that would be a different kind of ritual or magic according to where you start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think I've always thought of it as the eight phases of the moon. So what is the nine? What is included in nine? It's just that you go back to the original one and count that. Yes. Okay. So you would go from dark moon to... um, Let's see, you would go all the way to, uh, Dark Moon would go all the way to uh, Waning Crescent would be the original eight. Mm -hmm. If you started on the Dark Moon, you would go to Waning Crescent, and then you would add in the Dark Moon, which comes after that. Ah, I love that. I I do remember when I first even came across the concept of the phases with Demeter George's book, and how you can look in astrology, what phase you're born under. And boy, does that yes. really matter. When I looked it up, yep. uh, it was like both Michael and I were born under the, the dark moon. And, yep. uh, and, and I thought it made a lot more sense knowing that particular. And I was very yes. excited when I learned that. I, it, it fit perfectly. You know, I thought this yes. is a great system. When I discovered my birth moon, I realized that is our height of magic practice. When you know your birth moon and you work with it magically, mystically, ritualistically, spiritually, mm-hmm. any way you want, as long as you're working on your birth moon, all of your workings are heightened and deepened. Wow. Wow. That's that's a really, I'm going to have to remember that. I mean, I, I yeah. always think it's kind of a special time for me. I look at it that way. Um, but it also, I think what I noticed is knowing your, for me anyway, knowing my lunar phase, it's it sort of fit some of the goddesses I was drawn to. <laughs> yes. You know, I said, oh, that yes. makes sense why I'm drawn to her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, it seems like from your book, um, You Are a Woman, You're Divine, you do have different goddesses represented in the book. So it seems like you have um, ex- uh, explored other goddesses and used oh, yes. other goddesses. Always. And I have deep relationships with them, but I also recognize the underpinning of that is they are personifications of the goddess. Mm-hmm. So for me, it is the goddess and then her personifications, her expressions, her archetypes. And that is how she speaks to us. That's how she teaches us and guides and leads us deeper with her. Because if all we ever worked with was the all, we would not know her very intimately. She would remain far away and very, you know, unknowable. Mm. So what she did was she brought herself into personification so that we could know her. So when people discuss in their spirituality and their religions that they want to know God more, they want to know it as themselves. So they look at themselves as representative of godliness so they can learn and become more deep in that relationship. Same with goddess. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I also remember reading, I didn't read a lot of Joseph Campbell. I mostly loved listening to him. I mean, I love how he would speak and I've always meant to read more, but I remember him talking about one of the things you can do to have a meaningful life is find your myth. 
Yes. And, and really um, study the mythology. So it will teach you about your own life. And I thought that yes. was really helpful too, because we all do have yes. like themes that are mythologically connected. Mm-hmm. And you can, you'll find in your life that you will go through different archetypes depending on where you are and also what you need. So you can turn to those archetypes for wisdom and guidance and teaching, and you can express those archetypes when you're in different places in your life. Now, I I also know that you like to use um, three words, particularly I noticed from your sort of your website and from knowing you use the the, goddess, use witch and uh, priestess. And it seems like you like those three in particular. So, so really why is that? What came, how did you come to that? For me, those are the three most sacred and important archetypes for my life. They're what I consider my own personal archetypes as I live my life as goddess, as priestess, and as witch. And they're pretty, they, they all have a certain societal button attached to them that you can, you know, really get a response in one direction or the other, you know, as you, as you move through society. But I find that people, when they meet me and they, and they then find out that my website is goddess, priestess, witch, and those are the archetypes I claim they soften and realize they're not as frightening or as scary or as taboo as they imagined. Because I really believe that a woman has these three sacred pillars within her being, Mm. and she expresses them in many, many different ways. So as goddess, she expresses them as caring and compassionate and wisdom seeking and caring about the world and that which is outside of herself and seeking sacred wisdom. And as priestess, she is in devotion and in practice and also in service. Right. And as witch, the most, you know, hot topic button you could possibly push (laughs) is just a woman who is connected to nature, to the cycles of the celestial bodies, to the rhythms of the earth, to the movements of life. That is how I describe witch, witchness. I love that you call yourself a wild witch. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> and that's that's my nod to nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little wild. I have a wild hair for sure, but that's really not the wildness. The wildness is that I'm not going to disconnect from that which is nature, which is actually wild. That is my, you know, they say nature is the cathedral. Nature is the church, so to speak. Nature is the temple. Well, that is how it is for me. You know, it's interesting how when I sort of got interested in witchcraft, um, I was drawn in by the fact that it was connected to nature. And I mm-hmm. was drawn in by the, I like I like the idea of the coven archetypally as being a certain group. And then you have to, you know, go to the next and split up. And so there's no, not, not, not as much attempt for power, you oh. know, and I like that because I've been in groups where there's a lot of power struggles and, but it was the nature part. And over the years, since I was like in the 90s, I I started really getting interested in in magic and witchcraft and and nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed a trend that there's more interest in power in witchcraft. And though they include nature, I I, I just, I was personally a little sad by it, (laughs) you know, that, that it's become, 
it's more like power and don't mess with me. And, you know, I got the, you know, the things to do that I can make you stop hurting me. I mean, of course, this is not the only thing, but it is, you know, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it sort of was surprising because of the, the rebuilding of witchcraft was re- really emphasizing nature in almost all of the traditions, whether you went with Gardnerian or, you know, something more like feminist, like Mm -hmm. um, Z Budapest, nature really does play a central role. Yes, it is the core of the teaching. But with all the systems that you're mentioning, you're looking at fundamentalism and fundamentalism breeds power, Mm. even if it's subtle. Mm. And so what I did for my own practice is I departed from coven. I departed from group. I departed from fundamentalism. I do not claim any system, Mm -hmm. but my own relationship with nature. Mm -hmm. And that for me was the most magical movement I could ever, the most potent practice I could find. And so do I study all other systems? Absolutely. Do I read everything I can get my hands on about ancient spiritualities and religions? Absolutely. Golden nuggets are always found in those, those uh, teachings. But for me, it's really the moon, the sun, the seasons, the sky. That's nature can be uh, one's teacher. It seems like to me very much. So in fact, what, what was my pivotal moment my absolute pivotal moment was reading a line from Dion Fortune's book. And I'm going to paraphrase horribly because I, I um, can never remember it exactly. I don't know why, but it was basically the, one of the characters in her book, the sea priestess, she looked up at, or he looked up at the sky and he said, the more I study her, the more I align with her, the more my life comes into order. And I've paraphrased horribly, but what he was speaking about was the more I witness the changing cycles of the light of the moon, I understand what I am to do, where I am to go, how I am to be, and what's happening for me. And that is a powerful teaching. Mm -hmm. So ancient peoples, if you go way back into pagan life, even, even before that into Neolithical times, we find that people studied the stars, the movements of the sun, the seasons of the earth, and the light of the moon. And that's how they lived their life. Mm -hmm. They knew what to do. They knew when to plant. They knew when to go to sleep, when to wake up. They knew when to wear fur. They knew when to not. They knew when they could have fresh fruit and when they needed to have dried fruit. You know, they just knew these things because they followed the natural cycles. That's magic. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's certainly still a, a strong movement to get back to more of that. But I, I think there's still, like I said, there's this whole other realm of, uh, you know, I, don't, I think it's more witchcraft than anything else that's become so popular. And, and I've heard other friends of mine that have been practicing witchcraft for a long time saying, yeah, that's, you know, people just want to be cool. or And I don't really mind so much. Everyone comes in at whatever point they need to. And I think if you take the journey the journey will show you the true way eventually. So you can come in completely in a direction that's very pretentious and end up very authentic. If you continue the journey, you, you keep growing. You don't just land and say, this is it. I, I know what it is. And I'm going to talk about only this, you know, and mm-hmm. get kind of stuck. 
But um, but it is an interesting observation I've had. And, and like I said, there's plenty of other people. What I've learned is there's way more people doing magic for many, many years than I realized. <laughs> yes. and, and you meet them through, you know, things like YouTube and mm-hmm. and and you have to look a little harder, but it's they're out there. Yes. I remember in the 90s, a boyfriend that I had came over and he said, there's something I've been meaning to ask you, but like all your books are about magic. He said, so are you, uh, and I said, a what? (laughs) And I made him say it. Like he was really, you know, worried and scared to say the word I go. And he's like, a witch. I said, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And does it change anything you know about me? He goes, no, it just makes more sense. (laughs) So that was kind of cool. But, you know, I always say if you were to look at my bookshelf, you would know who I was instantly. And I believe that mostly about everyone. If you, if you really look at their bookshelf, you'll find out who they are. Mm -hmm. And, And even if you look at their Kindle library, you'll find out who they are. But what you were speaking about earlier, which is so interesting. Um, and I know we touched on this privately, but there is a trend right now for magical life, for women to be witches, for women to practice magic. It is a social media trend. It is considered stylish, which is hilarious because there was a time when, you know, we were, you know, killed for this, you know, and, and misunderstood and suppressed and feared. And now you can go on your social media and, and, literally show your magical practice and it's okay that is beautiful but it's also taken away an awful lot of the sacredness and specialness too so it's a double-edged sword for that yeah i'm a little mixed about how much one should show in general about ritual um in public only because it does take away to me the intimacy and sacredness and but you know i did grow up in a different time as well and i also have a lot of like planets that like intimacy <laughs> and mm-hmm. likes so i don't mean it I, I don't believe in secrets but i i think it loses like uh some of the the beauty in it when it's 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 too mm-hmm. much um in, in people's it's too accessible well the reason there's a really good um magical reason for that a good um foundation um, foundational magical reasoning that um supports what you just said and that is energy dissipates when you share it Mm. So it is contained and potentized when you contain it and keep it close. Mm. So that's why native folk will not show you what's in their medicine bag. That's very private. You would never even ask to see it. Well, I won't show anyone my personal magic, my personal spell work, my personal jars or vials. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. However, I will teach a neutralized version of that, mm. meaning I'm not practicing magic when I teach it. I'm showing magic. Oh, that's and a good differentiate because it mm-hmm. is good to share and teach. I like yes. that aspect of it. Absolutely. Yes. But that- truly it should, and not because there's a rule. I don't believe in rules hard and fast. I believe in feelings and how you move through your practice and how does it feel for me? It feels like, no, I will not share or discuss my actual personal intimate magic because I want to potentize it. Mm-hmm. I can share with you peripherally, oh, this worked and I like doing this and, oh, I just did this and it, I'm so excited, but I won't give you the details and I won't tell you what's in it, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you from my own experience too. And um, I also feel like 
for whatever reason, you know, I, I've thought for a long time that the worlds have actually split and mm -hmm. there's virtual world and then there's the physical world. Yes. And they're both really different. And I think, because I remember someone saying the worlds are going to split. I said, oh, yeah, they did. There's some people that live completely in the virtual world. Most mm -hmm. of us sort of have some contact in both. And then I know people that don't have any virtual world, hardly ever, if any. Right. And um, so there's something about if I find personally, if I spend too much time in virtual world, I lose my connection to the energies that are more subtle in the physical world. And yes. that's just me. I, I feel like I don't have quite the same relationship. And I really like that relationship. <laughs> I do too. I find that my intuition and my sensitivities to nature and its cycles and movements are dulled mm -hmm. through technology. So I don't have a moon app on my phone. I don't have an astrology app. I have one celestial app and that is the, to name the stars. Mm. So I can hold my phone up and I can see what the stars are, but I only use that when I have insomnia late at night and I want to see what's above me or below me. Mm. <laughs> so I don't, I, otherwise I use an actual star map or I look up what's rising in the sky and I try to practice hands on as often as possible because there is no natural rhythm in technology. There is no Good natural point. light. Yeah. There is no natural anything. I love technology, but I do not, I don't want to be reliant on it for my magical spiritual life. That's a wonderful point. I hadn't actually considered that. You're absolutely right, though. I, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, and then I, th I think sometimes doing things the slower way is also good for us for oh. us because we're all speeding through life. And we, we have to, to some degree, I mean, a lot of us have, have to, to survive, but we can mm -hmm. slow down when we want to in areas like this. Yes, absolutely. So for example, I have many people who write to me and ask if I can perform magic for them. Mm -hmm. And the answer is always absolutely not. And well, well, can you refer someone who does? And I say, no, I can't. Because I actually don't believe that someone should cast your, your spell work. I don't believe they can give you the tools. They can consult with you and tell you what you might need. And I do that bespoke magic. And so I'll help someone gather what they need and plan what they need to do, but I won't practice it for them. And, and that's a tradition that I follow. There are many other magical practitioners who do that and do it beautifully well and with ethical you know, consciousness. I just don't feel that it's right for me. Well, I agree with you for some of the same reasons, though I know people that do practice it ethically and, and helpfully, and they put, a, for one thing, they put a lot of energy into it, even for yes. one spell. I had no idea until I talked to some of them how much effort one spell can take. Yes. And, um, but Sometimes I, you know, I, I think that maybe because I was sort of trained in Buddhism first, the idea that I'm responsible for my evolution, to me, that's why I feel like it's better to show people how to do their own magic. And secondly, your feelings really count. And I can't feel what you feel about the situation, you know, right. so that when you go with your own feelings, it's going to be way more powerful, even if you're just starting out new. Exactly. And also the person who's performing the magic, even if you're doing it on behalf of someone else, all of your thoughts emotions, feelings, and intentions are going into someone else's magic, mm -hmm. someone else's spell. And so I don't know if I like that, you know, for me personally, I'm a little controlling in that way, or protective, <laughs> I should say, you know, I really want my energy in it. 
But, you know, I also believe, Krista, and this just came to me, I believe that we all are, you know, born with certain expressions and blessings and gifts and paths to walk. And I believe that some people are teachers mm-hmm. and, and showers and way showers, teachers, wisdom sharers, and some people are makers and doers. Mm-hmm. And so that may explain a little bit about why some people are ethically and helpfully and really well, you know, doing it very well, helping others to practice magic that way. I agree because there was one time where I finally went to someone because someone was, it was one year, um, our Trans Am was being hit continually. And I did try to do some magic Mm -hmm. and we just, it was so strange. And all I did was I looked up, um, Uh, It was the hoodoo people up in California and they burnt a candle for me. It was very inexpensive. It was Mm -hmm. very thorough. And what I liked was I learned that I didn't know candle magic was so in depth and they sent me the report. It took like a couple months actually. And like I said, it was very inexpensive and I, I had a good feeling about them. And it was only because it was the first time I'd really was stumped. We did all kinds of things and it was like Michael even started painting the bumper on the car and then someone would hit it and and it was like 20 times and luckily nobody was really hurt though a couple of the bangs were pretty bad and since that time it hasn't happened again and I just knew there was something up (laughs) so that was the one time I I did go and I think that you're right about different people are different kinds of teachers or doers I'm more of a doer I'm not really there to well no I'm not really a doer in terms of doing spells for other people I'm more of the warrior spirit and I want people to be empowered you know that's my thing um so I I think that makes more sense to me and and you have to find out who you are on this journey and I think um all well said and you brought up a good point too with hoodoo and hoodoo's basic, you know, the root workers, that is the tradition is to serve, to be of service. Mm -hmm. So that is a training and that is extraordinarily respectable and beautiful. I actually really love hoodoo work Mm -hmm. and I find it to be absolutely gorgeous. Um, And I will give you and everyone listening a little tidbit, and this is not hoodoo because I'm not a hoodoo practitioner, but I learned a long time ago that if you put a cat whisker that has naturally fallen, do not pull whiskers out of cats. But if you find one that has naturally fallen and put it in a vial, a glass vial, like a test tube and keep it in your car, you'll have less car accidents. Oh, I like, I've never heard that. A cat yes. whisker. Wow. And that's just, it's a little sympathetic magic, a little right. bit of, um, you know, projection into an inanimate object, but, and I don't normally practice a lot of that, but the reason, um, the reasoning behind it is cats use their whiskers to sense what's on the sides of them. Ah. If their whiskers bend, they know they can't get in. Right. If they bend a little bit, they know they can get by. If they bend too much, they back off because they know they won't get out. Ah, well, I never so they knew know, that. They know how to gauge space. So right. it's a good talisman to use. <laughs> that That's wonderful. I love that. I think a lot of the cat people are going to love that too. Oh yes. But never pull a whisker. I once had a yes. man say to me, well, how do I get the whisker? Does it hurt the cat? And I go, oh no, you never pull the whisker from the cat. That's bad magic. <laughs> that is, oh, poor kitty. Yeah. yeah. So always naturally fallen. So now my impression is you, you seem to largely work with women. Is that true? Or do you also work with men interested in learning more about the goddess? I have worked with several men who are interested and I have a few um, coaching clients that are men who have asked me to write a book for men about the goddess, but 
I just, it's so interesting and it's not a conscious choice I made to just, you know, primarily work with women. It was sort of where she led me was to teach women about who they are and to remind us of our sacredness so that, you know, I went through a lot of um, early adulthood, not understanding that I was special and sacred, that my body was sacred. Mm. And so when I discovered that and began practicing that and started honoring that, it became a teaching that I was living. Mm. And so I wanted to share that with other women. And so, you know, they gathered and I taught that information. I'm, it's funny, every time I try to depart and think I'm going to do something more um, non-gendered or basic or for all, mm-hmm. it just winds up coming back to the sacred feminine, <laughs> which is available. You know, And by the yeah. way, it's an interesting topic, the genderness of the divine feminine and the goddess. The goddess isn't female. She is feminine. That's a polarity, mm. you know, a sacred polarity that exists in every expression of gender, every expression of being, every expression of nature. We have divine masculine, divine feminine, and everything in between. Mm. That is the key, is that those are the two ends of a polarity. What exists in the middle is our humanness and how we are as humans. Well, I I totally agree with you. And I think it's really good to notice the difference between the gender, the woman and the feminine. So one of the things I've thought about for many, many years is that the fact that the part of the feminine, its strength is invisibility. Mm. And that sometimes I find, I'll see women that are promoting the feminine, but in a very, very masculine way. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky because it doesn't mean you should be invisible, but there is, there's some, that is one of her powers is, is invisibility. And, um, and I think that's why, you know, when people say, you know, the goddess is reemerging, I said, well, actually she was always there. Never, it, left. It never left. It was us that fell asleep. It was not, you know, you can even find her everywhere, you know, everywhere. and, um, and, and, you know, again, that idea that the feminine and the goddess kind of, they're in the background on purpose sometimes. It's, yes. it's part of, it's like dark matter now and all that, you know, all that physics, all the dark matter, dark energy, they're finding out there's so much more to it. The space between the spaces. Right what exists between non-existence and existence. And, you know, if you think of the goddess as everything that is, and she is the sacred divine feminine, there is also the sacred divine masculine. You cannot have one without the other because then there's nothing in between those two sides or two ends of that polarity. So, we're actually witnessing something quite phenomenal just as witchery has been able to come out into the public and be understood a little bit more and not be feared so much or be ostracized from society. We're also witnessing the polarities of our genderness coming out too. Mm -hmm. We're witnessing what does exist between the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And we're starting to see that it is a myriad of expressions. Mm -hmm. And I've had many trans women come to me and ask if they can study the goddess. Of course you can. My goodness. Yes. You have a special calling to her. She's calling you in a very, very special way. She's calling you out of body into her practice, into her devotion. Yes. So it's really beautiful, 
really beautiful. Yeah, that, I think that's a really fascinating point. I, and, and also the way you said it, I really, I like the way you're, we're starting to see all the, the nuances, I guess, you know, not so black and white. Exactly. And they've always been there, as you said, and the invisibility or the, I don't look at it as actual invisibility. I look at it as the unseeable, the unknowable, until you see, until you know. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and we're fed that drip by drip, you know, like once I was in a meditation and I was reading, I, I was reading this beautiful passage about the soul in ancient Sanskrit literature. And I suddenly slipped into this deep meditation where I could see my soul stretching throughout time. Mm. And I could see, I looked back and I could see it going endlessly to the beginning. And I looked forward and I knew that I would go on endlessly to the forever. And it, either end had no end. Mm. There was no ending. And wow. that, when I came out of that meditation, the knowingness of that faded almost instantly. And even as I say it, I can't express it the way I felt it mm. because you get a tiny glimpse while in body. Mm-hmm. You will know everything when you're out of body and no longer in body, but you only get a glimpse while in body because it is limited. It is finite. Right. Right. We do have the the material limitations, the physical. That, of course, is changing somewhat, too, and and will eventually change more. Now, now I did want to mention or talk about the fact that you've also led a lot of circles you um also to me you seem to be a, a master herbalist like I, I remember the one time i got the little rose vial i think it came with a candle of yours and it was so good Aww. i mean i i thought oh my god because I, I mean i'm not you know maybe an expert but especially rose it's hard to get something i feel that really keeps the essence of rose it's not perfumey you know and right um, but I just thought it the quality of what you do. And I know you go to lengths with that. So let's talk a little about that. Thank you. Um, I would say master herbalist would be reserved for someone who's in medicinal herbalism. I would add maybe if I, I wouldn't call myself master, but I'm a magical herbalist. And I've been practicing that for many, many years. So I'm actually just about to start practicing medicinal herbalism because I, I found and this is, I don't know if this is ancient wisdom that came to me or if it's something that I'm just, it's unfolding before my eyes, but I'm finding and I'm writing about and hopefully put into a book, the connection between medicinal and magical practice with plants Mm. is that when I look at protective plants, I find that they're also very protective to the physical So if I look at their medicinal use, it's almost identical to their magical use. Oh, wow. So I'm starting to draw parallels in that. And so, you know, you speak of like working with oils, which I love so, so much essential oils, and I love making products with them. Um, I've recently moved back to the Midwest where I am finding myself in heaven on earth. (gasps) I mean, the plants are around me that I'm, I'm seeing in person that I've only read about. because they weren't growing in California. And so I'm really, I'm delirious and so happy to be around them. But I, I would say the two areas in my life that I feel most joyous about magically and mystically and spiritually are the moon, the planets, the cycles of the, of the, of nature and the earth and plants. Mm. 
they speak to me. I speak to them. I have a special, special relationship with them. They well, I, I felt it from your work. I mean, I, like you. It, it, you can feel it in what you did. It was just something about it that really felt different than, and, and believe me, I, I do buy things from stores that have wonderful qualities and I love it, but it, it was something about it that felt very soulful, I guess I would say. It's magic. Yes. <laughs> and you know, that is an interesting point, Krista, you say, you know, we talked about making magic for others. That is what I call like charged, like a charged product that you then use magically. Mm. So I've, I haven't cast a spell on it. I haven't made it magical, except that I've put a lot of love and effort and attention into creating a blank slate for you to use and work with magically. Makes and sense. So that's, that's very powerful. Yeah. It's like you're, you're helping us. You're giving us an ally to work with. A tool, an ally, exactly. And plants, oh my gosh, they are so beautiful allies. As allies, they're they're wanting us to work with them more and more as we move away from them pharmaceutically. They're asking, they're inviting us to come back holistically. Mm. So they're really wanting us to come back and work with them. Mm. I think that that makes sense a lot of in a lot of ways. Yes. Now, I did want to touch, we talked earlier on before the show, we were talking about... Um, ageism in the metaphysical magical mm -hmm. pagan world and i we talked about it in a couple shows and i i had felt you know i'm 61 now and i i was sort of feeling over the last decade that being older is not what i thought it would be not <laughs> and, and and not that i i you know I, it just sort yeah. of surprises me that that there's a lot of aging women who have a lot of wisdom in the, these worlds that are not really as well known or respected which you think would naturally happen in, in the metaphysical, magical, pagan world. I think, and I, I think this is a brilliant topic um, to explore. And I think at the heart of the reason why elder women are no longer sought out for wisdom is social media. I really, and I love social media. This is not a slam on social media. It's just that it has created a trendiness to magic and a specific look for the woman who practices magic. So, in, and please, you know, I don't want to be misunderstood. I include all in magic. I love everyone who's practicing it. I, I honor them. I support them. In every practice, you have people who are doing good and not so good work. Right. So, you know, you have to keep yourself open for that. But so this isn't a slam on social media. What it is, is a result of social media is a lot of women who are elder won't get in front of a camera. Yeah. And they won't like, I actually had to go through an awful lot of self counsel as I age to get myself back in public, you know, to take pictures, to be photographed. And even when I moved here, I suddenly started to shed the Los Angeles, um, sort of vibe that I had to look a certain way and be a certain way as a woman and started to really come back into my own comfort mm -hmm. of, listen, I'm 60. I do not look 20 anymore. That's okay. I'm not 20, <laughs> you know? Right. So It's true. And, and then also you're right. And the idea that, um, especially with witchcraft, it seems like 
that witches look a certain way now. And when you go, I, I love like someone had posted these um, old photographs of, I think they were witches somewhere like in Finland or something. They were like these farm women with, you know, just long dresses on, no nothing to show that they were magical and they were the ones doing, you know, the, the, the work, right. Whatever their workings were. And mm-hmm. you'll still can find like some of that, you know, like going around underneath things, but, but there is an element of coolness that, that again, it's, it's not some people like, I know people that were like that anyway, that's, that's their personality. They just look a certain way. They didn't go and make themselves look that way. Right. And then they maybe got popular and then people are trying to imitate it. Um, so I think some of that is also kind of just kind of strange to me because all the witches that I know, they're all different, like in different sizes. And And that's the celebration of the goddess in witchery in life is that you don't have to look a certain way to practice magical life. You know, you don't have to look a certain way to practice spiritual life. You can be who you are, where you are, look the way you look, be the way you are. That's important. And I think that's something to restore, Um, you know, and and I'm really walking my my talk here. Uh, Is it talking your walk? I can't remember. It's walking your talk. Yes. Because I did shy away for several years. I would not go on camera as I aged. It was really um, bothersome to me. It was really terrorizing to be judged. And I didn't look like a 20, 25-year-old boho Instagrammer who they're beautiful. And, you know, their, their magic is gorgeous. But I didn't look like that. And so where did I fit? That was the problem. I was having identity issues. And would I be judged and ignored and laughed at? And then I... I had to put all of that in its place. Mm -hmm. I had to age gracefully and, and hold myself as sacredly as I know myself to be. So I hope to be still in front of the camera as I, you know, really rethink myself in this way. But I hope to be, even when I'm in my nineties, I hope technology is still letting us get in front of the camera and, and I'll be the really crone elder woman. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, there's definitely lots of examples of very older um, women and men that people love. And so we have to really work on our own side of things too. Yes. But one of the things I'm, I'm sort of confused about, and maybe you can tell me what you think is, I know that, it, you know, that idea that there's the maiden mother crone years is too linear, but it, it, I find it a little bit strange to see like someone at 28 so confident in their knowledge of magic. I remember, oh my God, even... Even now, I, I, I sometimes go, is that really true? Like, I'm always questioning. And, and, and I thought, well, are, are we not doing any of the stages? And why aren't they just living their youth? Like, why not enjoy youth and the experience of youth and share your knowledge of that? Why do you want to skip to being a wise person at the age of 30? And that's something that's kind of odd to me. Yeah, and I don't think they're skipping. I think they are wise women, and I think they are coming in younger and younger for several reasons. At the core, again, is technology, social media. So there is more information available to women of all ages, including very, very young. More books are published now than when I first started out. There, I had two books. Mm you know, when I first started practicing and that was it. And, you know, now you can have shelves and shelves of books teaching you every aspect of everything. So there's an acceleration that is natural to the progression of time. 
So I believe it's okay to have these very young, wise women. And Maiden Mother Crone for me is a dance, not a line. It's a circle dance. And you go around and around and around. So a woman in her um, crone years, and you know, there's a lot of controversy about the word crone, so I'll mm. use elder. A woman in her elder years can feel maiden-like. Sure. Can find herself anew. And a woman in her mother years can feel maiden-like, can feel very young and naive and just fresh and starting. So I believe it's a circle dance. You just go around and around and around. Oh, I do. I do believe it's circular too, but I'm not quite so sure I agree with you because knowledge and wisdom, I mean, there are some, there are young people that start young with their, their trials. And that's different. Like I've known someone that's had an illness for 10 years and she's only 20 and she conquered it. And it was really Mm -hmm. difficult. Now she has a kind of wisdom because she experienced it. So Mm -hmm. what I mean is that I think reading books and lots of them is not the same as experiencing and having that wisdom to me grows from the combination. So I think there's a mix of both, the, the wise men and women, the wise young people, but they they did dig in early. Like they have stories that are surprisingly intense mm-hmm. from 10 years old to, yes. and you're right, the knowledge is more accessible. So they had access to it earlier. And Much earlier. there's also the idea, maybe some of them are incarnating at a different rate, but I think some of yeah. it is is not quite like that for me anyway. Um, and again, some of it's my training in, in Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, they actually taught me that it took sometimes 15 years to deeply change the mind, to, to unroot. And I think basically what they're saying is be patient. <laughs> you know, I don't yes. think it's exactly 15 years. And, and so there's... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so there's that kind of slowness that I was trained in from in my 20s. And I'm not a patient person, so it's a good thing I was. I think, though, I, I um, honor that and, and agree on some level, but I also feel that within the last 25, maybe 30 years, there has been an acceleration in the world overall, and I believe it, it touched magical realm as well. And so those that are coming up younger with wisdom may not have the lifetime experience that we looked for in the past, but definitely have a a deep core wisdom. They are coming in with this. They are expressing it faster because the world is accelerating a little bit. There's a, a, a rhythm that's accelerating that I've been sensing. Well, that is true. I think there is definitely an acceleration. And of course, we're also joined in ways we never were before, which is the good thing about the the social media is it's instantaneous. And we Mm -hmm. can really start to see into other cultures and what's going on. And certainly you have to sort through it to find some, you know, legitimate things, but it's still there. It's, it's people. And and that's fascinating. A really good, um, a good way to look at this would be do you prefer to go to a young doctor or an old doctor? An old doctor has years and years and years of experience, but maybe very ingrained in his practice. That's a wisdom. A young doctor has less experiential hands-on, but has come fresh from the learning. He has different wisdom. So I think we can look at it that way, that very, very young folk who are practicing magical, mystical, spiritual uh, practices 
have a, just a different angle, a different facet of what they're bringing to the table. All well, welcome. And I, I totally agree, but I've always thought that was part of youth. Youth is to bring vigor, innovation, um, freshness, um, mm-hmm. originality. Uh, and and it's are. hard to say because, it, it you know, maybe in certain circumstances you need the old doctor and sometimes you need the young, fresh, and maybe right. the combination might be the most ideal if that's you think right. about and that's, it. And that's why it's good to see yeah. and practice with many, you know, not just find one yeah. person, but practice with many. So I think that's a really good point you bring up. I don't, and I don't want to say that, that the young people don't have... Um, experience to share that are really powerful. In fact, they have experiences I would not understand that I think are very powerful, like growing up in technology. And that to me is is very powerful and what it's like. Yes. And I just don't want them to leave some of their own unique experiences of that age group to skip away from that, because that is very valuable for all of us. You know, that what is it like to grow up in this technical world as a magical person? And is it what are the positives and negatives? And then, like I said, obviously everyone has their unique story that sometimes they've been through something so difficult that they've overcome. And that's always really powerful to hear from anybody. Agreed, agreed. So then what? how do you see, you know, you, you're talking about, since we're talking about magic overall and the acceleration of it. So what is your sort of vision of where you see things going, whether it's the next few years or in general, are you a person that sees that, for instance, uh, are we already in the Aquarian age? Are we on the cusp? Because there's definitely different opinions about that. Yes, there is. Um, I, I really feel, and I don't know if you're familiar with the yugas, Yes, the epics of time. Yes. So we're, you know, we're ending the Kali Yuga, which is a period of darkness and um, illusion and deception where, you know, fate is this phenomenal because in our lifetime, we're actually going to witness that transition from the darkness into the light. So I believe we're still straddling and still transitioning. And we can see this in every area of life from nature to technology, to politics, to science, to religion, to spirituality, to magic. So even our discussion of young magical practitioners, you know, maiden mother crone, we're witnessing this transition there too. We're witnessing the world moving in a transitional time. So that always leaves a question of where are we when you're in transition? One of the interesting things I'm starting to listen and learn about is, um, the change, the eventual change, according to like theosophy and even like Buddhism of the physical body into more, I mean, I, I don't know exactly, but it's more akin to the rainbow body that the, that we are physiologically going to be changing. And I thought that sort of sounded very interesting. We already have all the, all the children being born today are already tech savvy, very young. I, we, as you know, I'm 60, I had to learn technology. They get it instantly. Right. So I believe there is already that shift of physiology. And, and that's one of the things that I, I'm still trying to figure out. And I, you know, most magical people and, and spiritual people say, well, you know, all of this is to become a better person. And that's true. But there's something else and you see little bits of it through the idea of immortality through the idea of of having giving birth to your your real um soul like there's a couple of religions that believe you have to kind of give birth to your soul inwardly Mm -hmm. there's all these and i always feel like there's some secrets that are very you have to experience 
that there's more to it than that. And not that that's not enough, but I just feel why would people dedicate so much of their life if that was all there was to it? I don't think they would. I don't think there's more to magic. And I don't know what it is. I'm just following the clues in the books. Like they'll, somebody will mention something to the side about this. I'll go, oh, that sounds interesting, but why don't they say more? So anyway, it's just something well, I'm thinking about. That's really interesting. What you just said is the the golden nugget of this. And that is, there is so much information. There is not a practice of depth. There is not a practice of practicing. There is simply a practice of digesting information more and more and more, a hunger, a, almost an insatiable hunger for more information. I even find myself falling into it when I'm bored. I pull up my phone and go online and Google search, why does hair grow in one direction? You know, like crazy weird things just to learn. And, and there's this insatiable new, this has not happened before. You know, there was a time when sitting on the front porch and looking at the sky as the clouds rolled by was entertainment enough. Not anymore. Our brains are rewiring. They are adapting to constant information. That is what is happening. It's funny. I work with a, a coach when I, she's my brainstorm buddy. <laughs> she's my best brainstorm buddy. Um, and she and I will talk about this where I will get stuck in my teachings and say, and I'll lament, it's not deep enough. This is not deep enough. I want them to go deeper. I want to go deeper. There's a deeper teaching. What is it? And so that's where I teach from is that deeper place. I teach my students how to go deeper. Don't just stay surface. Don't just stay with 5 million bits of information. Pick right. one and study it a lot. I heartily I, agree with you with that. It's amazing yes. where it will go. And you'll get a little bored sometimes, but then you'll go under the boredom. Like the boredom is part of it. Yes, and, it and then is. you break into the next under yeah. layer, if you want to call it. But yeah. for, it's getting a little close. And I just wanted to make sure that people knew how to reach you. So yes. is, is it your website? that is that the best place to reach you? That is you? the best. And that mm -hmm. is uh, goddesspriestesswitch.com, those three words. Correct. Okay. So, yes. but yeah, the, and, and that's the same even in um, like Tibetan Buddhism, for instance, has a lot of deities. And sometimes people want to get all these different like empowerments instead of just working with one. Yes. And most of the teachers, they, they don't mind if you work with more than one, but they say one is enough. You yes. only need one. That's right. <laughs> we, I think we have to balance. We have to balance that our world is all about more, more, more. And the soul is about one, one, one. So more, 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 one. You know, so we really have to balance in between that. And I think for one of the, the difficult things for people growing up in technology, because we didn't grow up in technology, so I still remember what it was like. Yep. And so it's a little easy for me to walk away from it and say, oh, I'm just going to take a break. It's not. So I, I understand that's sort of the shadow side of, of growing up in technology. It's not really anyone's fault. Of course. You know, so um, what last sort of thoughts do you have to share about your journey or advice for people or just anything you're thinking about that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I would say the, the one thing that has helped me be who I am and to move through life the way I have moved through life is to trust my heart, trust my intuition, trust my soul to reveal itself to me, 
to show me the way and to listen to goddess, to God, to the feminine, to the masculine, to nature, to show me at each and every next step. And I have never been taken to the wrong place when I do that. Well, thank you so much. And, and thank you, Sherry, for all your comments on chat. I'm sorry I didn't notice some of them, but thank you for participating. And, and thank you so much for Renee. We're so happy you finally got on the show and thank you. really enjoyed it. And ho hope you come back. I hope so, too. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a lovely week.